Now that you got used to me doing something consistently on David, I'm going to switch. <laughs> um, I want to go to the book of Micah this morning, and I'm going to look specifically at the sixth chapter. Um, a question is asked, what does God want? It's a great question. What does God want of our lives? And uh, so I want to get into that for a bit. Briefly, uh, the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets, was written uh, at such a time that most of Israel was fairly wealthy and doing well, um, but they had kind of Assyria kind of checking them out, getting ready to, to go after them, and also um, the Babylonians would be next in line. So there was, there was some clouds on the horizon, but Micah saying, uh, he's telling them that God's not pleased with your behavior. And he points out a couple things. This is while the kingdom's divided, by the way. So there's two groups. There's one called Israel, which um, is kind of away from Jerusalem, and it's, it's more uh, within the trade routes, and so it, it has better finance. And then you have uh, Judah, which has Jerusalem. And uh, so when he's using the term Samaria... He's talking of that northern kingdom and Israel, and then when he's talking of Jerusalem, that would be the southern kingdom of Judah, okay? So I don't know if you even need to know that. But anyway, so they've, he's chewing out the wealthy saying, you've exploited the poor to get wealthy. And he's saying, God's not pleased with that kind of behavior. And then he takes on the leaders saying, yeah, you've, you've, been, a, you've been willing to say anything that needs to be said as long as they'll pay you. And he's talking about the priests the same way, that you'll preach whatever they want to hear as long as, as they're giving money, so to speak. And so he's, he's taking on these things and saying, God's not happy with this, and he is going to respond in fact, in the first couple verses, he tells Micah, shout this loud enough that the mountains can hear it. You know, declare this in such a way that there is no mistaking how, how clear this message is. Uh, let the foundations of the earth, the Lord is an indictment against his people. And in the third verse, what have I done to you? The Lord asks, how have I wearied you? Answer me. He said, why am I the problem? Why do you see me as the problem and, and making, me, making you tired? And why, you know, what have I done that's been so bad to you, so to speak? And it's kind of easy at times to fall into that if we get just religious, right? Man, another thing, you know? And, and yet the Lord's asking them, why are you asking that question? And uh, he, he makes this point. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. He gives them the history lesson, right? Just like your parents do. When <laughs> I, I gave you birth. And <laughs> well, I brought you out of Egypt. You know, you were in slavery. And then I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam to, to lead you, you know, through the wilderness. And uh, he goes on and, and he says, even when when." Balak, the king, wanted to bring a curse on you, and he hired Balaam. What happened? He said, I turned it into blessing. 
says, that's your history. Then he lists two towns, Shittim and Gilgal. And he says, you know, that's a, quite a name, isn't it? <laughs> Shittim was the last place that they camped at before they went into the new land. Gilgal was the first place in the new land. And so he's saying, I took you through that transition. And so he gives this history lesson and says, I've been faithful here. Why are you complaining to me about this? Um, it's like Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know, when he's saying, um, yeah, I, I ask things of you, but it's appropriate things that I'm asking. You want, uh, you know, you'll find rest for your souls when you live this way. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he, he's, Jesus makes a point, he's saying, yeah, there are, there are some requirements, but when living appropriately in the Lord, it is a good thing for your life. You'll find the rest for your soul that you're looking for. In verses uh, 6 and 7 of this chapter in Micah, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? And he's, you know, or my firstborn? You know, how do I make God happy? What does God want? That's the question that comes out here. Last week when we were looking at Psalm 51, David says, You will not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You'll not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And in the same light, it's like, well, if it's just sacrifices, we can do that. But that's, that's kind of the ultimate of Old Testament religiosity, right? You bring your offering. Here, it's much more sterile. We get to tithe, you know, and hand it over. And, and you know, and it's like, if this is all that, does God need the animals? Uh, in, in Psalm 50, he addresses this issue and he says, I own all the animals. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, I don't need your animal sacrifice. You know, it's like he's going, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. But do I drink the goat of bloods, you know, uh, blood of goats? You know, he's just, you know, when you think about it, let's, let's go back and say he is complete in himself without anything that we would do. He was complete before the world was formed. You know, so it's, it's as if, you know, we kind of get it into our thinking, if I work hard, do this, then finally God will be happy. Well, we've got news. He was happy before you were born, you know? And he was complete as a being before the world was even created. So when we look at these things and, and our interaction with him, and we start treating it as weariness and Oh, I've got to do this again. And we've got to... Something's twisted there. And that's what Micah's going after. He's saying, that's not health. That's not an appropriate way to perceive life. He, um, 
he goes on and, and, and in the eighth verse, this is where this is going. He says, he's told you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If, if you want an answer of how he wants you to live and what pleases him in relationship with you, um, he's going, well, he has shown you what's good in life. And again, that's, that's one of those things where I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't know what he, I don't know what he wants. Um, God the liar or you? You know, you know oftentimes we, we use that as a shed to just so we don't have to deal with what he's actually speaking to our hearts. Or we, you know, we, we, we want to just say, I'm afraid of trying that, or I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's more than I can handle. Or, but ultimately, he has shown us what is good. There is a discernment that he gives our lives as to what's appropriate, if we'll listen. It says, he's shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly? I tr- memorize that as mercy, and it always comes out if I'm not absolutely thinking about this translation. Okay. Paul, when he's addressing the Colossians, he has this prayer for them, very similar to this pursuing good. He says, we always pray that God will show you everything he wants you to do. You may have all wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives. Then you will live a life that honors the Lord, and you will always please him by doing good deeds. We don't earn our way to God, and we don't, um, you know, we don't make him happy, so to speak, by just this work-driven thing. But there's an appropriateness of when we have responded to him and we are in relationship with him, of our deeds following in a way that are pleasing. And so there's Paul's calling out and saying, I want you to understand what God has for you. I want you to know what his good intent is. And then I want you know, the deeds, in a sense, to follow along with that. We get it turned around, don't we? I mean, we aren't making the animal sacrifices, but we are, you know, I will be in church every Sunday because that makes God happy. Well, again, he was happy long before you started coming to church. But at the same time, why are we here? You know, we, we found that there is opportunity of experiencing his presence when we're together. We have found that as each brings uh, something to share and, 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 you know, even like during the greeting time, there were things going on of interaction that were of the Lord. When we're praying together, there is something that comes out that where it's like, the Lord speaks through people, and, and it, it brings well-being to us. But if we're just coming to do our do, there's something very twisted about that thought. And, and so we, we constantly have to, in a sense, process this and saying, am I just becoming religious in this? Or is this something that in the Lord is, is an outflow of my life? And so we, 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 we struggle through those things and, and constantly are trying to keep things in the proper place because our selfish hearts want to say, 
yeah, he's not treating me quite right. I wish he'd give me some more, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's like, no, there's, there's a, a, a reason for this, and there's a health in it when we respond to him appropriately. So he's, he's shown us good, and he, he teaches us, you know, in Romans 12, he just says, you know, make your life a living sacrifice. You know, rather than bringing the goats and cattle like the Old Testament, just let that be your life where you're pouring out your life unto him in a way that, you know, where it's done because of you. I, I, I love you, and I want to do this, so to speak. It's the most sensible way to serve God, according to the contemporary English version. Let God change the way you think, then you'll know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. Let's look at the justice. It says, in the New Testament, Jesus makes a declaration. He says, treat others just as you want to be treated. And so when you're looking around, you're fighting your own selfishness, and you're saying, what, what could I do that would bless their life? Because we're saying, I like it when others bless me. I like it when others pay attention. I like it when they think something of me and... and and, you know, say, I, I'll do this for you. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we tend to, to in our selfishness, want to gather it all to ourselves. But this, this doing justly is looking out and saying, well, what else can be done? What can be done for others? You know, in a practical sense, I think that every week a person ought to target helping another person at least for a few hours with no return expected. I, I just, you know, it's one of those things of, well, how do you incorporate that in such a way that uh, you, you, you're not just giving it lip service? Well, you can be very intentional in saying, this week, at minimum, <laughs> I'm taking this block of time, and I'm going to invest that in someone else who isn't necessarily going to pay me back. And it's one of those things where, you know, if, if that becomes a practice of your life, then you can look at it and say, yeah, I, I, this is starting to work. This idea of mercy is really tied into this you know, as well, but, you know, in treating others as you want to be treated. And, and then, like in Matthew 25, remember when Jesus is telling the parable of the king at the judgment, the end of time? And he's going... You know, blessed are you because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Uh, you know, I was... And he's, he's laying these things out and, and the response is, when did we do that? We didn't, we didn't see God here. And, and, and the statement is made, Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so it was like you were investing in others' lives who had no way of paying you back, but that was an act unto the Lord, and it was delightful in his eyes. It made God happy. Let's look at the thing of humbly serving the Lord. When we come to terms with how awesome our God is, 
as creator and sustainer of all things, the one who is invested in our lives, the one who brings salvation through his son, then there's a certain honor that naturally should be going back to him. There's an appropriateness of recognizing his, his splendor that way and just saying, I, everything I have is yours. I owe you everything that I could possibly get. And yet you've chosen to bless my life in this way. There's a certain wonder in that. When, but knowing who we are, you know, in, a, in, in the Last Supper, this always amazes me. You know, the Last Supper, our, our communion meal is, is kind of based around that, right? And we have Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And then he's telling them, within hours, I'm going to be killed. You know, a very important meal. And their last meal together. And there's an argument that comes up among the disciples, who's the greatest? You know, it's so, so contrary to, to the, the significance of that moment. But they're, they're into it, and they're just, you, you ought to take care of me. No, you ought to take care of me. And, you know, and, and finally, Jesus washes their feet and you know, shuts them up for a bit anyway. But it, it shows how much he loves in that he knew their hearts, and he was still investing in them. You know, just like he knows our hearts and still invests in us. And, and so... You know, he says the Gentiles lord up, lord, exercise lordship over others with their authority. He says, but among you, the greatest is to be as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. He says, that's, that's how we're to be wired and how we're to take care of each other. Daniel, when he was talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar had had this dream, and essentially he, he saw a judgment coming upon him where he would live like an animal for seven years. And Daniel has the interpretation of the dream, and he comes to him and says, I would advise you to show mercy to the oppressed. I, I, would, I would suggest that you humble yourself before God this way and that you show mercy to the oppressed so that, that uh, maybe he'll have mercy on you. You know, and, and he brings that out to him. There's a proverb that I'd like to read as well, and this is out of chapter 29, verse 1. He who is reproved, yet stiff as his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The opposite of humility is pride, right? And one of the terms associated with that is being stiff-necked, unwilling to change. And this proverb says if a person refuses to change, there's a potential of their very lives being destroyed. When I, when I look at this, it's like if we are unwilling to let God speak into us and, and, and put ourselves in a position of humility, there's a very good chance of our lives being broken. And at times when things do break and fall apart, it has to do with our own stubbornness and pride as much as anything. And, and so this, is, this has always been one of those verses where I've looked at it and going, oh, Lord, because I, I can be stubborn. 
Yeah, you know that. <laughs> We've been together long enough. But some of you can too. <laughs> no, <laughs> misery loves company. No, it's, it's one of those things that tends to be one of our traits. We want our way. And endurance is, you know, stubbornness turned to a, into a godly thing, right? And perseverance, it's, it, it is that stubborn temperament that is, is, has been yielded to the, the Spirit of God. But there is this warning that just says, Lord, help us not to be stiff-necked. Help us to be aware of when we've locked in and dialed into something and we refuse to yield. And yet it's you that's actually asking us to bend. And so, you know, we look at that and say, we don't want to be in a position where our lives are broken because of this. As was mentioned earlier, I want to close with a verse out of James. It just says, confess your sins one to another and pray for another that you may be healed. Again, that requires a humility, right? That we actually open up our lives and say, I'm doing this poorly or I've failed in this or I'm actually a wretch in this, would you pray with me that this would change? And to, to, to bend and to release our pride enough to let that happen is not simple. But there is a promise of healing that comes as we make ourselves vulnerable that way. Powerful idea. So what makes God happy? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Praise the Lord. For this scripture, Lord, we thank you. And as with all scripture, we recognize it as being written that we might understand your ways and grow in you. And, O oh Lord, as we look at this, cause us to ask the questions, the appropriate questions as to how our lives might honor you and to walk in the fullness of all that you have for us. Amen. I'd like to just revisit one thing here. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices were a part of that taking of the best that they had, bringing it before the Lord and saying, everything I have is because of you. And it was establishing in their hearts the priorities of life. It, it, it had more benefit for them than it had for the Lord. And it's the same way when we gather together and, and we're giving a tithe or we're um, gathering in a group. It has more benefit for us than it does for Him. It, it helps us un, you know, come to terms again and say, these are the priorities of life. God is overall and He's wondrously provided for us and we're grateful. And as, as we yield that way, our own well-being is put in place. And so I just uh, put that out to you. You know, it's his desires that we do these things, but it's for our well-being that he's designed. He's designed us for this. Amen. Well, that's my last shot at it. Um, I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. We're maybe this is open-ended worship. If you like prayer, 
there's opportunity, particularly up front, okay? May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of the favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to serve you wholeheartedly, to walk in loving kindness, justice, humility. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.